Um, thank you for the opportunity to talk. I, um, I've published a book which is the um, Bibliography of New Zealand Aviation, and I've got a few copies here to sell if anybody's interested. Um, I normally sell them for $35 for the paperback version and $55 for the hardback, which is a numbered edition. But today, because everybody's interested, uh, you can have uh, the, the paperback one for $20 and the other one for $30, which is about what it costs, as book people will tell you. Uh, I'm keen to, for you, you people to have copies. Um, it, when I wrote the book, my wife tells me that I know almost everything about almost nothing, <laughs> which is highly probably true. But um, it started because I um, looked at my library, I had a broken leg one day, and I looked at my library while I was sitting there and thinking, I've got a hell of a lot of books, but they're not really a collection. So I sold all the overseas ones, and I started buying New Zealand aviation books, and I then wondered how many there were. So I I did a bunch of research, which took me a number of years, and I've uncovered lots of books. There's about close to 760 in there, and I've found another 20 or 30 since I published it. The best thing about this was the people that I met. And Dave's invited me to talk to you about one person uh, for 10 minutes, he says, so that'll just, be, just about do it. Um, this gentleman, his name was Jack Ray. He flew with 485 Squadron, and he flew later with 249 Squadron. Did you? I also knew him well. He was a fine man. Well, you'll really like the story that he told me. Anyway, um, um, how I met Jack is I had this interest and I had a lot of books and I had a book that mentioned him because he was one of our foremost fighter pilots. I think he shot down 13 aircraft, had two DFCs. And um, I was on holiday with my family who were young and were driving me nuts. And my wife said, go and find a pilot to talk to. So I went, wow, that's me. So I rang up Jack and I said, could I come and get you to sign this book? And he said, I've got to go out, but I've got to go out at nine o'clock in the morning. So if you can get here by then, and I didn't tell him I was a long way away, it was two hours drive away. So I got up really early and I got there and got lost. So I got to his house at five to nine and I said, I'll just sign the book and I'm out of your hair. He said, oh no, have a cup of tea. I said, you've got to go out. He said, no, no, have a cup of tea. I've got a few minutes. And he started, while his wife made us a cup of tea, he started telling me the story. Well, I was still there five hours later saying, don't you want to go and have your on your visit? He said, no. He said, nobody's asked me about this for a long, long time. Anyway, I suggested he write it into a book. And he said, where would I start? Who would read it? And I encouraged him. And um, eventually he published a book, which is, it's an excellent book. It's called uh, uh, Kiwi Spitfire Ace. And this came out of that one conversation. And I've done this to, um, the same thing happened to another gentleman who I helped publish a book to, and he's going to talk to you shortly, and it's also an excellent book. Anyway, um, this, uh, something happened to Jack, for those who have read the book, and that's what I just want to talk briefly about and show you this. Uh, he was volunteered, without going into his whole history of his aviation, he volunteered, he was a bit bored at the beginning of '42. Uh, not much was happening, you know, the Germans weren't attacking England anymore and it was all quiet. So he volunteered and they said, we can't tell you where you're going, but um, you're going on a ship. So he, got on, he went to north of England and he got onto an aircraft carrier and this didn't surprise him, but he knew his Spitfires couldn't take off from aircraft carriers, he thought it was a transport medium. And um, they left, still not telling him where they were going, and they sailed out of this harbour and headed, he thought, to India. Um, then they went into the Mediterranean and just past Gibraltar, they said, tomorrow we're leaving for Malta. And Malta was um, a, a, a huge, huge battle. I know the Brits like to celebrate the Battle of Britain, but it only lasted six weeks. Malta, in, in, in April and May of 42, 
received uh, more bombs in those two months than fell on England in the whole war. They had 3,000 raids over a continuous period, mainly two or three times a day, and they were under attack for at least three or four years. So it was a dangerous place. So anyway, they said, um, right, we're going to Malta tomorrow. Any questions? And some bloke put up his hand and said, how the hell do we take off from an aircraft carrier? And the advice was, brakes on, full power. When you're halfway down the deck, close your eyes for a couple of seconds. <laughs> anyway, they all got off. Um, one guy, um, he, he deserted and flew to, uh, to Africa. Uh, and there's books written about what happened to him and why he did it. Um, Jack and his team got to, um, got to Malta. And there was funny incidents, like Jack had, had contraband in his plane. He'd taken off all the wing panels and filled it up with booze and cigarettes. <laughs> and at the last minute they said, oh, Jack, you've got more experience. You should take one of the front planes. And so he, down the back was this young guy, he, he referred to him as a young guy, they were all young, and he said the guy was shaking and he, he said I went over to him and I took him aside, I said my advice is get plenty of speed up before you start climbing. <laughs> when he got there he rushed over to the plane and he opened it all up and all this grog came out and he said I felt so sorry for him, I gave him half my grog. <laughs> anyway they got there on the, so that was the 15th of, um, of, of, of um, March, oh, April. The, it was the second aircraft carrier to reinforce Malta. Uh, he got there that day and then he rested. The, half the planes were destroyed in the first hour of landing. And then the commanding officer on the 1st of May, important date for Jack, the 1st of May, the commanding officer decided that they would, uh, they would go and uh, practice formation flying. And this commanding officer, he was a lord. It was, his name was Lord Douglas, David Douglas Hamilton. He was killed in the war. And uh, he'd only ever been on one operation, and Jack had been on quite a few, and actually had some combat victories. So anyway, uh, story goes on. Um, I'm mindful of my ten minutes. Um, a pilot came over to Jack and said, the man's mad. You can't practice anything here. It's dangerous. He said, it's so dangerous. If you come down in the sea, SC Rescue won't come in, out to, to get you, because we just get strafed. He said, my advice is if this madman's going to make you do this, you've got to fly with your canopy open. So Jack took this on board, he'd had some experience, and off they went. And they were climbing out through about 25,000 feet over Malta, and they saw a German plane. And uh, they, they, they wheeled towards this German plane, piled on the power, and were going to have a go at them. And uh, what they didn't see was uh, the, the famous beware of the Hun and the Sun. And another German plane came down when they were about 30,000 feet, came down vertically beside Jack and pulled up underneath him and hit Jack with cannon fire. And just before he hit him, his wingman, a guy called Mitchell, a New Zealander, who also was killed in the war. In fact, there were four of them on this flight, and Jack was the only survivor of the war. Um, Mitchell called out, Jack, look out. And Jack rolled the aeroplane like this and pulled down as a defensive manoeuvre, at the same time applying power. As he put all this in, he got hit. So now he had, the aeroplane was starting to move. He had full power, full aerolon, and down he went without the floor and without the control column or the throttle and a piece of his leg. And so he, he unbuckled, but by then the aeroplane was in a steep descending dive with full power. One of the pilots later on said to him, I don't know what your problem was, it looked like it was doing aerobatics perfectly. <laughs> anyway, so uh, at 18,000 feet he hit rear air and was shot out through the open canopy, which he said, because he was stuck with G-forces, I'm sure you, you Air Force pilots know what that's about, but other people, after about one or two, you can't really lift your hands, and after about three or four, you can't lift anything. You're four times heavier than you normally were, and it was—it's quite a force. Pilots in the war got used to it, but you know it's tough. Anyway, he got shot out through the open canopy, and then he reached for his ripcord, and it wasn't there. 
And he remembered he's falling through the air now and uh, with his leg bleeding. And um, he, uh, he remembered that somebody had said to him, because there wasn't any training in what you do when you bail out. And this guy had casually said, if you can't find your ripcord, look for it. And it had come out of his webbing and was flapping around in the wind, so he pulled on that. And um, then he got back, he landed back on Malta, even though the aeroplane had gone through the sky like this, and he was about eight miles off the coast. He was at 18,000 feet, which is a long way, and he managed to get back to the ground. And um, he landed, quite relieved, and uh, a Maltese guy ran out and was going to run him through with a pitchfork, because on his, on his um, May West, his, his life jacket, he had uh, his combat victories, his swastikas dra drawn on it. So then the, the second buffs, the uh, British military came and they rescued him and took him off to hospital. So that was the first. On the 15th of May, he was in hospital and um, a guard came to see him and said, oh, we caught a German, do you want to meet him? And he said, oh, yeah, I've met a German. So anyway, he got on his crutches and he hobbled down somewhere and then he met this German and he'd, he'd been uh, uh, um, shot down directly over Malta and a cannon shell had gone through his arm and he had it in a sling. Jack spoke to him for 10 minutes, but in the first two or three minutes, he realized this was the guy that shot him down, and which was an unusual thing. Now, he took his picture, and he, and he um, got him to write his name and address on a piece of hospital notepaper. I was visiting Jack, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, and he said, you know, I've still got that picture, and I've still got that hospital notepaper. He said, do you want to see it? So I said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. So he ferrets around in his filing cabinet and comes back with this. Then he says, I've got the other thing, too. I said, what's that? He said, I've got the parachute I used. You want to see that? I said, oh, I really want to see that. So anyway, he's up in the roof and he's yelling at his wife, Vera, where's the damn parachute? It was in a clean sack. And so he took it out on the lawn and I got some wonderful pictures of Jack standing by this parachute and it's completely covered in his blood. And then to cut a long story short, some years later he uh, started to realize he was getting on and uh, wondering what to do with any, everything. And this thing is 28 feet across. And he said, uh, he rang me up and he said, you were really taken by it and you've been quite kind to me. I, I raised money and took him to Malta to the last reunion there, which is a story in itself. It was really neat. Anyway, uh, he said, do you want the parachute? And I said, oh, look, I think it belongs in a museum. I've not seen a used parachute before. Anyway, I hung up and then I was thinking about his question and I thought, well, the museums have got so much stuff and it's quite nice for them to have it. But they don't, they can't display it all. If you go to the Auckland Museum, they've got medals in the room cupboard. So I rang him back and I said, I've had a second thought. If you would like to give it to me, I would appreciate it. So he said, well, I'll send it to you. I said, no, nah, I'm coming to get it. So I hopped in my car and I went to get it. And he gave me this parachute and he gave me the picture of the German and the, and the, um, the, uh, the handwritten note that he'd done. And um, that's what I've got here to show you. I framed it all up with a, a, photo, a painting done by Ron Fulstow, who's a friend of mine. And uh, it looks great. And I think while it could have been in a museum, they would have left it in the clean sack and not done this to it. I'm unsure as to what to do with it. Um, I did show it to one group and I said, this is the only used parachute that I've ever seen. And a guy came up to me afterwards and said, I've got one. So now I've got two. <laughs> <laughs> the other, he gave it to me, he said, if you do this to it, I'll, I'll give it to you. It's the first, it's the parachute used by Fred Kindig, who was the first Skyhawk pilot to eject from a Skyhawk in New Zealand in 71. Um, 6705, I think, it's 6507. I've also got his logbook now, his brother gave it to me, and I've got the, the ejection seat handle and a whole bunch of other bits and pieces that belong to Fred. Fred's long since dead. So that's what this is. Before I finish, I'd just like to tell you one little story about this. When I was framing it, because this is actually quite interesting, it's a, something to do with modern times. When I was framing this, this thing, 
I was looking at this German's note and I thought to myself, what the hell was war all about, you know? Here's a guy from New Zealand in Malta, a place he probably never heard of, and the German actually came from, because I know his name, came from the Sudetenland, the Czechoslovakian-speaking part, the German-speaking part of Czechoslovakia. What were they doing in this space over Malta? And w w when they met, and how did they meet, and what the hell happened to them afterwards? And um, so I thought, I'll try to find him. I learned quickly that there are no records of German POWs, there's hardly any record. Um, and after about a year or so of emailing people, um, POW associations and all this sort of stuff, I realised it would be almost impossible to find him. His name was Herbert Sukop. He's a German ace, a five ace man, and he flew in Jagdgeschwader 52. Uh, they were called Picass, had a, a, um, a, a, a ace of spades as their em emblem, and Alan will, Piet will tell you about how they got their similar emblem on his squadron. So I gave up. And then I thought, you know, I sort of know where he came from. So I went into genealogy sites and I published this handwritten note and about another year went by and I got up one morning and I got a note on an email from a woman in Sweden and she said, you want to look on this website because the genealogy of these areas is all taken care of and you can ask questions about people. So I looked on this website, it was really confusing, it was in Czech. And I can speak a bit of German but I can't speak any Czech and so I couldn't even figure out north and south. So anyway, I just went, I'll write to this woman here. So I picked this woman, and who said she knew about a town, and I wrote, and said, you gotta write in German, and, um, and, or Czech. So I started off in German, and I said, hello, Mrs. Jones, that was it, then I went into English. The next morning, I got a really wonderful email from this woman, and it nearly knocked me off my, my perch, because I didn't think I'd ever find this guy. She said, and it's a bit like this, she said, I know all about the big town, Wellsford, say. But there's a little town nearby, it's really small, say like Walkworth, and I don't know anything about that, but I have a German friend who's an expert in the history of it. And what you want to know is this. The, the, the man's name, his father was the mayor of the town in World War II. The pilot himself was shot down on Malta on a such and date. He was sent to Africa as a POW. He went to uh, Canada as a POW. And uh, unfortunately, he died two years ago, which my goal of all this by then was to get Jack and this German together. So, um, and, but his son still lives in Canada and here's his address. So I got on the Canadian phone book immediately and I, um, I looked him up and the, his name is Herbert Sukop as well, same as his dad's. And so um, I, uh, I got, there wasn't anybody with that name and address, but there was somebody with that name. So it seemed to me it was gonna be him in this town in Canada. So I rang the number and I get a woman this woman says hello, and I said, hello, can I talk to Herbert? I found out later that he's, he's referred to as Bert. And she said, well, he's not here. He's gone on his honeymoon, left this morning. He won't be back for three weeks. Well, by now, I was quite excited, and I wanted to talk to somebody then, not in three weeks' time. So she said, can I help you? And I said, and I, I, my wife tell, will tell you that I'm quite flippant about things sometimes, and I crack jokes that sometimes people don't appreciate. And I cracked a joke with this woman, and I thought, oh, no. What I said was this. She said, I said, oh, did you know Herbert? And she said, oh, he's my dad. I said, oh. Then did you know your grandfather? She said, yeah. Was he a German ace in the way, a German fighter pilot? He was. Was he shot down in Malta? He was. And she said, why are you asking? And this is when I cracked the joke. I said, well, a, a good friend of mine was shot down by your grandfather in World War II over Malta, and my friend's still really pissed off about the whole affair. <laughs> And he's looking for closure. <laughs> I should have said that. 
So she said, really? I said, well, no, most of it is true. That bit isn't true at all. And when I went and told Jack that I found him, he was most amazed. I, and people ask, um, if your house ever burnt down, what would you save? And, and I don't have to think about that. My house did catch fire, and I rushed in and got Jack's parachute. And uh, my wife said, what about the kids' photos? No, oh, Anyway, I bought this to show you, and, uh, and I, I hope you enjoy looking at it as much as I enjoyed Jack giving it to me. I don't think of it as something I own. I think of myself as a caretaker. You've got to remember, it's 28 feet across, so this is fairly thick. I'll just leave it up here. It's very heavy. And you can have a look at it. Down the bottom, there's some calligraphy done by a relative of mine explaining a bit about Jack and what happened. There's a picture of Jack, a picture of um, during the war, and a picture of um, the German and the German's handwritten note and Jack's uh, um, Caterpillar Club badge. Later, Jack was shot down over over uh, France and captured, and he was in Stalagluf III when the Great Escape happened. And when he came back, he started a business making things, it's a long story, I won't go into it, but he made things out of leather which failed and he turned himself into a woman's underwear manufacturer. I said to him once, you know, when you look back on your life, did you ever think that you were going to be a fighter pilot and then sell women's underwear? He said, it wouldn't have crossed my mind. <laughs> so I'll leave it up here and feel free to have a look at it. Thank you.